All right, welcome back to My Brother's Deeper, a podcast about two brothers. One lives in England, one lives in Chicago, one's a writer, one's a pastor, also known as the Rufus and Percy Show. So today we're going to talk about ourselves, because we thought it was only fair that we do that because we kind of went in deep on our mom and dad and a little bit on our extended family. So this could go either well, it could go well or it could go bad. I don't know. Yeah, we're putting ourselves under the microscope, I think. That's the that's the plan, right? Yeah. Going back to that first episode that we did about memory, mm-hmm. because a lot of times I notice that our memories differ very uh, very frequently, like things that we remember that we choose to remember, or they, the memories choose us. I don't know. Um, but you know, we we started at the very beginning, like what's the first memory and all that. And there was this thing that struck me when we were doing the one on our dad. And later on, I was like, man, we didn't even talk about this. And I feel like that it has shaped my life more so than yours in many many ways emotionally and mentally so when mom was maybe we did mention this or when we talked about mom but it was a big story a big sort of plot point where you were i don't know a year old because we're only a year and 10 months apart i don't know if we've said that people we always say two years but yeah. it's not quite two just short yeah two years so yeah i think you were about a year old and mom was pregnant with me Mm-hmm. And dad kicked her out. Yeah. Don't know why. Don't know that story. Should know that story. Should probably talk to mom about that again. Yeah. yeah. We should probably do some research. <laughs> but I don't know what that fight was about. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it was some innocuous BS that couples go through. But it was bad enough for him to kick her out pregnant. So that's the way that. You remember it was that he kicked her out. That's the, that's what I, I always thought. I mean, that's why the way mom put it. I don't know if I ever talked to dad about that though. Yeah, I definitely didn't. I, I don't. It's funny because I don't know how I would have described it other than that they, they basically separated and mom moved back in with her parents who were living in Massachusetts at the time. And I think for me the big. The big thing around that was always our grandfather and grandmother essentially saying to her, you need to go back to your husband. Yeah. And so that was always – yeah. she had been there a while. Yeah. So that was always the big plot point for me, and I don't know if I've ever thought about how that started. They, yeah. They convinced – her dad convinced her like, look, you, you married this person. You're going to yeah. go – he was – they were old school. You're going to yeah. go and work this out. Right, right. And I guess dad had come to a point too where he like I think mom told me this too that he had been he like he had called her up there and was like come back. Oh, for real? Yeah. Wow. But so I don't know if you believe this, but in a larger sort of sense of how religions work, some of them anyway. I believe that I and we'll talk about more about this too about religions and what they have to teach you. I think there's value in all of them, even the most ridiculous ones that you could think of, even like Scientology. <laughs> right? It, like for you, that when you view 
something like Scientology, are you like, this is crackpot? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's fair that I look at it with a, with a good amount of skepticism. Yeah. Right. Seeing how so, it's created by someone who literally was a science fiction writer. Right. So he wrote a book called Dianetics right. in the 50s. And basically, it didn't have any of the stuff that it became today. All mm -hmm. it was was a psychological tool. Mm -hmm. Basically, you sit down with someone, what they call an audit. and. Right. There were these other things. There was this thing with like an e-reader, like a meter that you're tied up to. I don't know what that did. But anyway, they, the, the whole thing about going clear, which is part of their vernacular in Scientology, is that you basically lay, you know, lay down on a couch. Somebody walks you through your first memories. Okay. But you remember that first memory. And they sort of – it may be hypnosis. I don't know. But they ask you to go even even before that. Okay. What, can you remember something before that? And, you know, Hubbard claimed that he had a memory of being in the womb. In utero. Yeah. That his mom was sitting at a table when she was pregnant with him and was stressed out. <laughs> and he could feel that. Okay. Now, I know that sounds really crazy, but I do believe that children are affected by things in the womb. So I, I feel like I feel like that, you know, when mom was kicked out, that affected me somehow. It started mm. some sort of anxiety within me. So I was born into this situation that wasn't quite like maybe what you were born into. Our first children are always born into sort of like a hopeful, positive thing because it, like the relationship's probably at its best. Usually, with that, yeah. With that first kid, right? Yeah. And then things happen, and you have more kids, and however you're born, you're born. I'm not saying that. I'm not using it as a crutch. I'm just saying that I feel like that explains some things okay. emotionally and mentally for me. Okay. And then mom told me this other thing. I don't know if I ever told you this. It's a graphic and embarrassing, but as a baby, um, you know, you get circumcised. Yeah. Well, some, somehow they mess mine up. Like, not hey, everything's fine. <laughs> getting that out there <laughs> but like they like it got infected okay which and, is not actually it's not uncommon right so she had to take me back to the doctor it's like a week later after they'd done it and okay. yeah the doctor was like oh man and he like rips the scar like the scab open uh, and mom said that i just like lost it like i was just screaming bloody murder of course and i think that's a thing that probably affected me as well because I have, I've gone through life pretty scared of a lot of things. So let me let me ask you this, because I think there's a couple things here, and it's not a like pushback or criticism. It's more curiosity from the standpoint of how you're processing this. So, like, would you say then that the actual circumcision itself would have been just as scarring to you, like, given that sort of a logic, or or is it because the fact that Maybe there was a, a bit of, um, what, I don't know, oversight, nervousness. I, I don't know what caused it, the infection, but that that was unique in regards to the emotional impact potentially it could have had on you. Are you saying that the actual just circumcision in general is traumatizing or just like the – Yeah, I, I guess I'm just thinking, okay, if it's a week apart and you've got two kind of significant surgeries, if it were, you know – 
in your mind, what would be the difference from the original circumcision and then that second situation that you're talking about? Because I think that's one of the things that people criticize about circumcisions in general is that, you know, you're you're essentially, you know, you're, you're harming a newborn baby, which just incidentally, I didn't realize this, but here in England, it's not very common for you yeah. to circumcise children. Um, so I know, you know, that's not the case for everywhere in the world, but I know we had the option when our kids were born, whether or not we were going to do it. And, you know, cause I knew nothing different. We're like, yeah, of course. So just curious on how you would process yeah, the difference I, between the two. I, yeah, it does seem like it probably is a traumatizing thing just in general, but I think the fact that it got infected and then like the harsh way of how it's described to me. It made some sense to me, like about just kind of maybe the way things would would affect me okay. later on in life of just being sort of like uh, fearful of the outside world. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I mean, not, like I said, I'm not using it as a crutch. But no, I I don't think it. I, I wouldn't. I would never accuse you of that because I, I do think, like in a way, you kind of get back to that old question of. Is it nature versus nurture in regards to how you're raised? And I've always felt like it's it's probably a combination of both. But I would I would definitely agree with you that things that happen to you in utero or things that happen to your family, to your mother in particular in utero, I think can definitely have effects on you and cause you. I don't know. There are ramifications later in life. You know, I think we, we have thought about that even with our daughter, Julep in regards to her adoption and, you know, her birth mom, um, was, was having a pretty rough, a rough time right before she was born. And, and we have wondered, you know, if that affected her in some ways and and, in ways still yet to be seen, you know, as well. I think it does because I I was in a relationship with someone that was adopted and it's something that she never really, stop talking about hmm. it affected her i mean it always came up as a joke or something but like yeah. you i think that and then talking to her about it you all she said that you always have this feeling that you're not wanted like you're giving up yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. I, and i think that is different for each person right because because yeah. i've known and talked to enough people who've gone through that and part of it is based on their own personality. But I think part of it too is how it's, how it's talked about and dealt with as you're growing up as well, you know? And, and I think that's where the nurture comes in. So, you know, I think obviously the curiosity will always be there, but the, the nurturing part and how your parents deal with it later. So that's where I think for you, like it's probably as with most people, it's a combination of not only kind of what happened outside of your control in regards to your personhood, but then also maybe how how you were raised as well contributed to fear and whatever you know emotional antenna you had and how how all that kind of shook out. Yeah, I feel like you didn't have as much as that, right? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's funny, Josh. Like, I know th- again, this is probably something that I've mentioned before, but it's like I go back and forth with these conversations that we have, where it was like either. Things didn't affect me to the degree that they affected you or 
I've really like suppressed <laughs> just a ton of stuff. So I don't know if it's like things rolled off my back easier. I didn't take them into, I didn't hold on to them as long, or I just have a different way of coping with them. And, and maybe I'm not quite as, um, I don't know, maybe I'm not quite as willing to do introspection as you are. I don't think that's the case, but I think you always have to hold that open as a possibility. That's another thing I wanted to ask you about too, is when it comes to memories is suppression and all that. Cause I thought um, sometimes, cause mom would always ask me this thing. I think I mentioned this before and if I did, I'm sorry. If I didn't, I'm sorry. But mom would always ask me whether when I was in Dallas and dad was in community theater, if anybody ever touched me inappropriately, because there's this, Wow. There's this stigma of there being like gays and arts in the, in the theater world. There's a messed up correlation between gays and pedophilia. Yeah. But mom's making that jump. It's, she's a product of her environment. But she asked me that and I'm like, what do you know? First off, no, not that I can remember. But then I start to think, well, maybe I, did something happen to us when we were kids or. Does she know? Because you you've dealt with this on some level of like how a parent will know some things and also just ignore it. You know, does she know something? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, but I I find it hard to believe that mom would know something like that and not say it. You know, right. like she's the type of person who who wouldn't hold that back. And two, I think she's the type of mom that she wouldn't hold it back. So, um. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just the general, general distrust that she had of dad at that time. I, I don't know. I mean, this was like later after he died that she asked me, you know, I was, I, I wasn't living in Dallas any longer and she would bring the, also just to put this in perspective for people out there. She also asked me why I was living in LA if I was a part of a gang. <laughs> See, man, she, see, she's, she's got an imagination on her, doesn't she? <laughs> so there's a lot of stereotypes there. I mean, that's what yeah. that tells me. There's just stereotypes that she has. And, and Josh, I think part of it too, um, rather unfairly, is that, you know, she probably has a certain expectation of what she wants her son's lives to look like. Yeah. And, Again, rather unfairly, it's probably being married with kids. And for you not to be that, she's got to start asking the questions. Well, why would that be? Is it because something bad happened? Is that because he has, you know, intimacy or emotional issues? And what would be the cause of that? And so, I mean, you can go down a very dark path pretty quickly when you start doing that. And she, you hit on something there that's true. I do have, I probably have in the past had, uh, problems with intimacy and i feel what my original question was do you, do you think maybe you have suppressed any memories like and i say this because you seem you would know you have some intimate knowledge of this without getting into details right things like that i don't i don't think so but who, who, if they're suppressed i wouldn't know right um yeah. But so, have, you th- have you ever thought of that? Like, I mean, I think I've thought of it more since you and I have kind of started doing this, just in regards to how we remember things differently and what our impressions are. But I guess as I've, I've thought through it, I, I do think that 
the coping mechanism that I probably have is less suppression and probably more filtering. So it's like I don't think there's anything necessarily, again, I don't know for sure that I'm just completely trying to get rid of as much as it is, you know, just remembering more positive things than negative things. It's kind of kind of selective editing in regards to, to how I, I look back on that. So I, but I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with it, right? It's like those sorts of things can come depending on what triggers it and what, what brings it to the surface. Um, but you know, I, again, it's maybe similar to the way you look back on, um, how, how things in mom's life when you were in the womb probably affected you. I, I kind of look back on that and, and from a faith perspective, from a spiritual perspective, think, I mean, maybe that was, that was part of kind of some divine intervention on my part where those things weren't a, attached. I, I wasn't attached to those things in the same way. And, and it allowed me to kind of move forward and focus on other things. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I just, I don't, I don't hundred percent know. Yeah. I had a thought earlier about how when mom, between dad and the second marriage, we had the string of babysitters. Yeah. And there's probably some we don't remember. Yeah. And there was the one where, you know, dressed up in mom's clothing and all that. That's right. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows what happened with all that? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you, you have some distinct memories about that, but they don't go too dark. Um, yeah, maybe they stop at a certain point. Could be. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's always it's always possible because when you talk about suppressed memories, you just don't know what's there. Yeah. Yeah. But you said something just now about filtering. Yeah. Where do you? And you, you moved more towards the positive side. Yeah. And I would say I probably moved towards the negative side. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that, how do you think you developed that though, that tool? That's a good question. I, I don't fully know because, you know, I do think that there were times that I can distinctly remember where I was pretty, I can be pretty negative, you know, especially as a child. Like I felt sorry for myself uh, quite a bit. Like I was very conscious of us coming from a divorced home and I felt that and I carried that and I think I was very conscious of being in a very average athlete and being in a, in a competitive environment that we grew up in and sports and stuff and, and carrying that, that weight of kind of feeling shameful and, and guilty about it. So it hasn't always been, you know, a bed of roses. So I think kind of over time, I don't know. I, I mean, Josh, it's a great question. I don't know how that was developed other than to say I, I don't know how much credit I would take for myself and rather say it was something maybe developed within me kind of outside of me. And so, again, I'm looking at it from a faith perspective and going, OK, I, I think my identity began to change. And because of that identity change in regards to not just seeing myself as you know, a human being that was part of a family that has goals and dreams, but seeing myself within the context and framework of a larger plan, that maybe that that really has kind of helped in regards to developing some optimism, 
developing some um, uh, some ability, not not great ability, but some ability to let things go and you know kind of focus on what's next. You know, you think when you were growing up, you were very made really good grades. You know, you never really got in trouble. Did you? You never got in trouble at school. Um, no, I mean small little things. Yeah. But do you do you think like school was a place for you to kind of like get yourself like lose yourself? Like you could be like, okay, I can control this, right? Like I can study, and I can do the homework, mm-hmm. and I can do you know. For me, it was the opposite of that. It was always like yeah. daydreaming and like yeah. living off in some other reality. Instead of like what's in front of me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do think that, you know, again, come back to this nature versus nurture thing. I think some of it was, you know, the nurturing of being, being a first child. Um, and, and there's research to suggest that, you know, first children tend to be overachievers. And so whether that was instilled into me, whether that was something that I inferred on my own, um, it definitely was a sense of control of, yeah, I can do this and, uh, and kind of get some acceptance probably. At an early age, we kind of developed these sort of coping mechanism one maybe being more positive than the other. Um, and how memory sort of shapes reality for us. Because I think, you know, obviously you have a different reality of growing up than mine. And sometimes they blend together. But I've mentioned this before, right? About how, like, our family, especially dad's side, because we were more in contact with them and around them more, treated you differently than they treated me. Or that's my perception. Yeah, I remember you saying that, and I, I thought that was a good one to try to unpack a little bit because, um, I mean, I do think that there was definitely a difference in the way they saw us, and that probably translated to their behavior and their treatment as well. Right, like that, how did they see us? Well, I mean, I think there seemed to be a sense that, you know, because of grades in school, I tended to do better in school. I think – you did better in sports, so I think there was there was attention probably showered on you in that regard, which you know I think was deserved. Honestly, I don't see that's the thing I don't really remember of them attention. I, I don't remember, yeah for playing sports. I, th- I felt like they treated us the same. Oh no, as I far as sports so went. I mean, I remember there being a time where like you and I were actually on the same baseball team. And you made the all-stars and I didn't. And so like there was a real sense of pride from our stepdad and our mom and our dad, our real dad as well, in regards to going to those games and watching you perform in those games and, you know, so on and so forth. I didn't do well in all-star games, man. I didn't I, – I remember once being on one of those teams and I, they had me in like left field. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because they had some other catcher that they yeah. liked. Because the guy who coached the team was from Crossit. Remember that team, Crossit, Arkansas. Crossit, Arkansas. Yeah. And they had, and his son was the catcher. 
Well, because you were younger, right? Like you, the way that they divided up those leagues is you had a couple, couple different age ages on one team, and so I think you were on the young end for that All Star team. Yeah, I remember you know playing a little bit of left field. Nothing really happened. I got to bat maybe once or twice, and I got to bat. When I got to bat, I like popped up or something, and I went back <laughs> to the bench and I was crying. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was so upset. I wanted to do more. Yeah. And this kid, I don't know who the kid is now, but he like came up to me and put his arm around me. He's like, dude, don't worry about it, man. You're doing great. Like, don't even like, don't even worry about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, so I mean, I. I do think that, you know, like you said, we were probably treated differently in different different ways. But I do think overall, Josh, like there was probably more of a I don't know what the right word is, maybe a more of a positive vibe that I received than you. And because grades didn't get into trouble, probably more straight laced, you know, than you were. You were a bit more of a rebel in regards to discipline and obeying parents. And I kind of fell in the line. So I think there was a natural, I don't know if it was a favoritism more of, well, he's easier and that one's harder kind of a thing. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was favorites. I don't know, but it was more of a, don't have to think about him. Need This one needs more attention kind of a deal. I, yeah. But they didn't give me any attention. <laughs> well, I think when you're in trouble, you demand it and, and whether it was negative attention rather than positive attention, um, it still was attention. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so did, just, you, did you not – like when you say you don't – they didn't give you attention, did you feel like they overlooked you or what's what, – what do you think – like do you think they gave me more attention? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I just know that there was a definite – like I don't think it was all that terrible. And it was great, but – Growing up, but I always had the sense that I was what you would call uh, different or black sheep or whatever. And I guess that that forms the way you live your life. Yeah. You know, and like you said, something about being a rebel. I think I probably embraced that at some point as Mm -hmm. a young man, young adult. I don't know. Just doing things differently or thinking differently. Mm hmm. It was probably advantageous for me, I guess, to be to grow up that way. Yeah. At some point, you just accept it. And but the thing that I, that bothers me though is the in those those years of, of my early twenties was I wasn't really that close to my family, anyone really. Um, I had friends and stuff, but part of that, like being rebellious. Was there's a downside to that mm-hmm. to where you don't, you know, you don't, you're not close to your family. And I think that recently, I mean, we talked about this about becoming closer as adults. I think that's one of the things I learned from you was when I started to come back to Cincinnati to see you guys that I learned the value mm-hmm. of being close to your family. Mm-hmm. And one thing that does bother me is that I missed out on a lot of. I feel like I missed out on some years, you know, I don't know if you feel that way, but, um, I don't, I don't feel that way. I mean, I think factually that might be true from the standpoint of you not being around as much, but I don't, I don't look at that in a negative way of like, Oh, we missed out on those years. Um, I think that's just kind of the, that's just kind of the way it was. And honestly, you know, 
when you've got young kids, like time just kind of speeds by you in some sense. It slows down in a lot of other ways. But, um, you know, we were just trying to keep our head above water, you know, trying to figure out how to not kill kids and, you know, get them raised. So I don't in any way look at that as like a negative thing at all. Cause I think when, when you did kind of, when we kind of reconnected, it was at a point where I feel like our three older kids in particular really were able to appreciate it. You know, like, like when they were younger, it probably wasn't something that they would have remembered quite as much, but, but the connection that you guys have made now, I think is that connection because, you know, really, in those preteen kind of teen young teenage years, they, they really are like, this is my uncle, you know? Yeah. So I think it's been, I think it's worked out well, quite frankly. Yeah. I think as a, you know, as kids, we were really close cause we shared a room for years. Um, and yeah. so we like moved back to Louisiana from Colorado via Maine. We, that was the first time we had our own rooms. Remember that house in West Monroe? Totally, yeah. But it, it was still kind of like that, that situation. It was exciting. But also that house was just very morbid, kind of. It was very dark and gloomy. Ta- talking about the one on 40 acres? Yeah. 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 Not on For, 40, 40 acres of land. 40, 40 Oaks. Road. 40 Oaks. Oaks. 40 Oaks Farm. 40 Oaks okay. Farm Road. Okay, nice. Yeah. That was yeah. the first time that we had, and we were, you know, junior. Well, you were sophomore. I was in eighth grade, and yeah. then that was the second half of that. Yeah, and we were pretty close until you went off to college. And one thing that I think about is what you said when we were talking about Dad was that he thought that you were checking your intellect at the door when you went went religious. Right. I, just used, I used air quotes there, but. <laughs> I think in examining that and thinking about that, I think I had in that moment later on probably had those thoughts as well. Like Mm -hmm. I I, I always thought to myself, like, Jason's a really smart guy. Why does he believe in this stuff? Yeah. In those moments, because I think religion in our 20s was a frustrating topic between us. Yeah, it's funny. I I remember us having – I remember us having a conversation, Josh, and I, I I recall this as being like really the first serious religious conversation that we had as – I guess as adults. And I don't remember the exact situation, but Candace and I were visiting Dallas. I don't know if you remember this or not. We were visiting Dallas maybe because we were there for a wedding for a brother or something like that. And I remember we were sitting in the lobby of I think a hotel. Somehow we got onto the conversation of it, and it was like the first, I don't know, just non-confrontational but coming from different viewpoints type of dialogue that we had. And I remember being super encouraged by that. So yeah, I don't know if I saw it as adversarial with you other than like you were living your life very differently than I was living my life, and I think I was just trying to just be available in any way that I could be, um, probably not doing a very good job of it. But I'd never looked at it as like me versus you or that sort of thing. It was just like, okay, like this is where, this is where we're at. This is where he's at. I use we just 
because I was married by that point. But yeah, I don't, I, I never, I never, I never put you in the same category as I felt like towards dad by any stretch, where it was very intentional and attacking in that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember there were on my end moments where I wanted uh, to believe, uh, be a believer or accept Jesus into my heart. I would read the Bible a bunch and I don't know why in that moment I wanted to do that, but I remember, I know that we would have these conversations and sometimes it felt like you were trying to push me in that direction. I'm sure I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think there's any doubt that like, you know, when you, when you really believe something like, you know, I don't know. Um, you're familiar with Penn and Teller, right? Like the comedy duo. So there's yeah. this there's this kind of viral video that went around several years ago. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but he uh, Penn and Teller had done a show, and after the show, he posts this video, and he's like, "Man, right after the show, this guy came up to me, and basically was proselytizing me. He was he was trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, and he said something along the lines of, you know, I don't." I'm an atheist. I don't believe that sort of thing. He goes, but I got to tell you, he goes, I absolutely respect that guy more than anything. Because if you believe that those those beliefs, the consequences of your beliefs result in an eternal life and eternal death, why wouldn't you tell everybody about it? And, you know, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm necessarily a zealot when it comes to those sorts of things, but I do believe it. And I feel like I've got, you know. Not only intellectual grounds, but I think I also have kind of you know personal stories to tell about what I would call supernatural events, and it's something that I I deeply hold, and I want other people to know that because I do think that there is I think there is truth in the world, and I think that you know whilst we all might be looking for that truth, I really do believe, and I I I pray this doesn't come across arrogantly, but that's always it's always the risk when you say things like this. I I feel like I found truth. And so when you find truth, you want other people to experience that truth as well, particularly when it comes with what I would say is a life of joy and a life of peace and a life of hope. So all that to say, you're probably 100% accurate in your perception of, yeah, I was probably trying to persuade you in some sense, you know. And it wasn't I, – I hope it never came across as pushy or arrogant or anything like that because that definitely is not my heart in it. Um, but it's hold, when something's important to you and you hold it dear, like you know, you want to treat it that way. That's really kind of serendipitous, that story you told about Penn and Teller because it leads right into like a reconciliation for me as far as like what I mentioned feeling the same thing that dad felt about like checking the intellect at the door because in in all of my philosophical wanderings I came to the realization that religions and mythologies and all that stuff are useful and whatever people what whatever belief systems people have they're all unique and they're all valid hmm. so I came to the terms of like yeah, he he is a really smart person, but this is what he believes, and there's nothing. There, that's what's wrong with that. I believe in Bigfoot. So what? <laughs> I really don't. But I'm just saying, like you know, no I, judgment, I, no I, judgment I, here. I, 
that's the reason why I brought up the Scientology thing earlier was like yeah. there's value in some of that. I mean, it gets bonkers, but all mythologies are kind of bonkers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's just, I just came to that terms and it felt like a weight was lifted at so, some point. Well, and I think that's I think that's a I think that's a neat place to get to because I think in in one sense that's very uh, that goes against the flow of society, quite frankly. Like as as I just I just did a sermon not long ago, kind of talking a little bit about this. But you know, we we live in a society that truly truly elevates the virtue of tolerance. Tolerate all different types of beliefs, all different types of lifestyles, all different types of you know uh, moral codes, and and so on and so forth. But the reality is, is that we're not actually very tolerant at all. We just want other people to be tolerant of us, while not being tolerant of them. And so, just the fact that you're saying that, I think, actually goes against a lot of the the current of the culture, um, because most people wouldn't be able to find value in anything different from what they believe or, or how they live their life. And I, and I do, I, I do think that I think I can agree with you, but I'd have to like go very, very like macro. Like I'd have to pull back really, really far and go, okay, even the most, you know, to use your word bonkers type of groups that, that, you know, let's say go even into really, really kind of dark places I'd have to go really far back and go, okay, well, I guess, you know, there's value in that they find a sense of community with other people like them, (laughs) you know, Um, because I I, don't know where, you know, place things like, I mean, I don't know where places like David Koresh's, you know, kind of cult and, and uh, even go so far as like, I would say Satanism that's, you know, dealing with animal sacrifices and all that sort of stuff. I, I had, like I said, I had to pull really far back and go, you know, I guess there are some positives to being part of a group, <laughs> you know? Well, I think David Koresh thing is interesting because I just watched over the quarantine. I watched like two different things. There was a, a scripted miniseries on one of the like Paramount or Epics and then they put it on Netflix and you can see it, you know? Yeah. And it was about, I think it was called Waco. Okay. But it's about, like, Michael Shannon plays, like, this FBI agent who was, he's a negotiator. who went, Okay. It's, it's based on a book by that character that he's playing, wrote. And, but the, the thing with Koresh, though, is about how he's interpreting things and how he feels that he is a, a chosen person. Yeah. Yeah, because he because he feels like he, the reason why people followed him was because of his interpretation of Revelations. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that's yeah. like a di- that's kind of a different thing than people believing that our souls are alien souls that were trapped in a volcano. Well, I, I, yeah. However, again, like practical outpourings of that, whatever your beliefs are, like you also have to look at the practical outpouring, like the fruit of 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 that labor, if it were. And I think, yeah, it is very different because it's you're not talking about you know, aliens and volcanoes, but I mean, David Koresh's, you know, output was, so because of my interpretation, I should be able to sleep with anybody that I want to yeah. and, and should be, and you should not even question that. And in a sense, when you, look at science, when you look yeah. at Scientology, there's a similar kind of sense of we, sh- I should be able to do X, Y, or Z, and you shouldn't question it whatsoever. 
you know. It's fun. It's funny how a lot of the every cult is the same because it's just about one dude trying to get laid. It's amazing. Yeah, it actually is. Like that. That should be a clue. No matter really what you believe, to go is this on the up and up at all? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's just about one guy who had trouble getting laid, and he convinces some people of some things, and then he's like, "Oh, now I can get laid." But and the, it benefits you. And by the way, it benefits you as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's part of the story. But yeah, like there was the the one with I forget. There's another documentary about I forget the name of this thing, but it was a about it was an HBO documentary about a guy who he was courting like actors and actresses, and one of them was on yeah. uh, Smallville, the yeah, blondes. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was like he would like yeah. brand brand these women. Yeah, they'd be part of like it was like a a self help guru guy who was doing a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, and also had within this thing like this this harem of women that he had branded. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that because I was a Smallville fan, and so I remember like her role in that, like she was recruiting other women for him, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, that was so, part of the deal. When yeah. you were in that group, you had to recruit. But yeah, things get kind of wonky in belief systems. Yeah, they, I mean they can. There's no question, and and you know, we all have to be careful of that of how we talk about it and present it and. And again, try to ground it. Yeah. So I guess that brings me up to date as far as just like <laughs> our relationship, you know. So, I mean, so when you talk about getting to a place of acceptance and reconciliation, like from the standpoint of like, OK, like you're not. Are you comparing it to like this was maybe some sort of a wedge between us at a point and now you feel like it's not a wedge? Well, I feel like it was definitely a philosophical wedge of just like, you know, dad always bringing that. I think he said he brought that up about like, you know, what about my friend Brian who's Jewish? Yeah. Is he just going to die when he's just going to go to hell? Right, right. I think that's a crazy thing to think about. Like, that's what my brother thinks of me. Like, I'm not saved, so I'm going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want your brother thinking that of you. Right. You know what I mean? So, sure. yeah, like once you get, I think that way heavily on me and my subconscious for yeah. years until I could get to the point of this like also one of the things that you get to is like all this stuff that you believe is malleable it can change mm-hmm. you know I don't know if you feel that way I feel like you have over the years I don't know if you want to get into this but you have like you have changed your viewpoint on things what would be an example of that homosexuality I think you, at early, I think early on you were kind of very staunch in like in sort of viewing things, and then over the years you seem to have grown less staunch about it. I mean, I think my I think my base beliefs have not changed. I think what what probably has changed is um, acceptance of reality, some experience of of, of also knowing people who. Um, have either struggled or accepted that part of their life. And, you know, you put a face, you put a face to those problems or you put a face to, to that is different than just theory. Um, but I think, I think honestly, Josh, I think it's a better understanding of my faith, quite frankly, of, of recognizing that, 
you know, you can disagree with the way someone lives their life or the choices that they live and still not allow that to be a fence between you and that person in regards to getting to know them, value them, appreciating them. So I think it's more of a, it's, I think it's more of a maturing of, of knowing like, okay, there's, there's what we believe and what I think is truth um, versus how then you treat those people as well. You know, like there's a, a very, uh, you know, this is a very Christian saying um, that could be offensive to some people, but I think there's 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 some good principles here in regards to hating the sin but loving the sinner, and I think the ability to separate the sin from the sinner. And by the way, everyone we're all sinners in my book. Like it doesn't Christians aren't special in that category. Um, I think has become more real to me in that regard. So I think that's developed and that's changed for me. Earlier, we were talking about how um, how close we were in proximity to each other as we were growing up, you know, because we shared the same bedroom and all that. And um, there was at some point where, you know, you get older and you get your own room. Um, And then, you know, you get older even more and someone leaves the house. Mm -hmm. And that that happened to be you because you're older and went to college. Yeah, but don't you think in a way that was a little bit different because we both left the house at the same time? Yeah. So it wasn't like you were still in the same house. Like you had a new ex- you, you had a new experience. You went off. It was just in a different way. Yeah. So not well, to say that well, you were – I mean you weren't – I obviously wasn't there. So there, there was still the separation for sure. But – yeah, it was in a different environment. Yeah, I guess I'm just getting at what, it, like, what is it like? Because I don't know what it's like uh, to be like the oldest kid. Does there are there pressures there? I mean, I, I guess it depends on who you are. Like, I don't think I ever felt pressure by any stretch because I think I was very much um, kind of free to be who I was, you know. So like, um, where maybe, you know. Some people might feel like they're fighting against who they were or fighting against who they want to be. I think I think the idea of being the older child, you know, there's a whole study on kind of first child characteristics and middle child and youngest child, all those sorts of stuff, kind of the birth order psychology of it. And I think it fits me pretty well, like from the standpoint that I was always fairly independent. I was always kind of okay doing my own thing. And I think growing up. That that was something that I always thought of myself, like I always thought of myself as that person. Like yeah, I did think it was interesting, like knowing mom was a first child as well. She seemed to be very different from me being a first child in regards to personality and kind of, you know, striving to achieve, um, maybe being an overachiever, wanting to. I, I don't know, just be good at things and that's and, and that sort of bits. So um I never felt pressure. I never felt strange about it. Um I think I was always cognizant of the fact that, you know, I was different from this from you and you were different from me. And you know, you mentioned before about kind of feeling treated differently. I definitely know that we were different and so people responded to us differently, for sure. Um, but I never felt that in like a weird way. I've, I kind of accepted that as just, well, that's just kind of the way people are, you know? 
So I never struggled with any sort of expectations or anything like that. Um, cause I think I had high expectations for myself. Yeah. Where did, where do you think that came from though? I don't know. I mean, I, well, I mean, I think I asked this earlier about like why, like you took an interest in making the most of yourself in school. And I wonder where that comes from, from kids. Cause like for me, I didn't, I guess there were at times I knew it was important. Like you had to make good grades and you had to go to college. Right. There's a pressure in society for yeah. everyone, I guess, for yeah, that. Yeah, there is. Um, but I never, I never, it, it was never like a driving force. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, Josh. Like I, I mean, again, if you do a lot of um, kind of reading on birth order, um, I do think that's kind of typical first first children firstborn children is that they tend to be achievers. And, and, and I guess that can be linked to the fact that first time parents tend to be overly involved. They tend to, to want things to be just right. You know, they're nervous about having a child for the first time. And maybe some of that's imparted to the child themselves. I, I don't know. Cause I think you could make the argument that, well, if somebody as a parent is over involved and that could make the child overly dependent, but Maybe somehow that imparts to that child a sense of responsibility. I, I mean, I don't know the psychology behind it. I don't pretend like I do know. I think for me, it's just at a very early age, I think I just realized this is who I am and I'm okay with that. And so for me, it wasn't about proving myself to dad. It wasn't about proving myself to mom. I was very aware that there came accolades with that sort of stuff. And I did like the attention. I did like the affirmation, but there was always this sense of like, I like accomplishing things. Like even to today, like I have, I like making lists. I like checking things off a list. I have list upon list. I've got lists for my list. You know, I like condensing my list. Like I, I'm, I'm a very, I can be very an A type personality in regards to those things. Now I'm not, I think there are people that are way more extreme than I am because I think I've got a good balance that has developed over the years between being a people person as well. So rather than being just task oriented, I'm able to be people oriented too. But it's just always been like that. So I don't know if I've really ever questioned it, quite frankly. Growing up as a kid, I think this is something that another thing that I probably learned from you and mom because that – that carries over into like uh, I remember like your side of the room would always be so neat. Yeah. And mom was kind of a clean person too, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I was naturally that way. I don't know if I was messy, but uh, I know that 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 has been something that has carried over into adult life. When I was a kid, though, I didn't like it. Like I didn't. I thought you were a goody two shoe. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And like you, and you also, you would tattletale on me sometimes, and that would drive me bonkers, man. Like, do you remember the story about? My, I don't think I was in school yet, but we went to Safeway. <laughs> Safeway, the shopping, the grocery shopping store. Yeah. It's still around. Like they own. Are there? Yeah, like all the most of like uh, I think like Kroger, not not the Kroger. But, like, there's another conglomerate, and Safeway owns all of them. Okay. Like, the, like in L.A., the big, the big grocery store, regular grocery store is Ralph's. Hmm. 
And that's owned by Safeway. Okay. All right. But anyway, I, they had, for some reason, they had all these loose action figures in like a bin. Okay. Okay. And I, and I, t- I stole a Yoda. Oh, man. And I showed it to you because I thought, like, look, this is cool, right? And then you <laughs> just told mom that I stole it. Were you showing it to me or were you stealing it? I had already stolen it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but at the time, you know, I was like, yeah, I understood. You're not supposed to steal. Like, mom made me take it back and apologize. Okay. But, you know, you could have so kept the secret, man. I, you know, I've always had a very keen sense of justice, Josh. Um, I don't know where that comes from. No, it's funny you say that because – and this is not like you know, I'm trying to flip the, the, the script on you. I, I would have said the same thing about you. I, I would have said you were a tattletale. Probably. I mean I think probably because, kids are. Yeah, I think that's that part of kind of the brotherhood thing because I, I feel like like you know – I did my fair share picking on you as the older brother when we were younger until you, you know, outgrew me. But, um, you would, yeah, you would always say stuff to mom, dad, or grandparents, you know, I mean, that was one of those things that annoyed me about you. So it's funny, yeah, having that perspective, but I do think overall, I think you're right in that assessment in that, you know, whether you call me a goody two shoes or you call me whatever, you know, straight laced, I do think that was always kind of the way I was. And I don't think I would never apologize for it because I don't feel like it came from a uh, position of superiority or a position of arrogance. It was just like, no, here's kind of a right and wrong and, and, and the right way to do things. And, you know, I think there's also a sense of like, well, I don't want my brother to get in trouble for stealing something, you know. So I do think there was a bit of protectiveness there too. Well, he wouldn't have gotten in trouble if you wouldn't have said anything. You don't know that. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, you stole some. You stole a powerful force being, yeah. and so the force has a way of <laughs> of revealing itself. Action figure. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do think, like you know, you talked about you know learning things from me or whatever. I think looking back. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I learned from you is that I think you did a really good job kind of growing up of, of being very comfortable with yourself. I know you don't feel that way, but the the irony is, is, is there, there, there's a sense, even though I just said not long ago that like, I kind of accepted who I was, but I did struggle with, you know, kind of feeling sorry for myself and, and being aware of um, being from a divorced family, and I never got the sense that that sort of stuff bothered you. It seemed like that stuff rolled off your back. Now, maybe you were internalizing it, but I always kind of looked at you as someone that was more relaxed than I was, more laid back than I was. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about like me being neat, similar to mom. That was always very keen, and, and, and I was very aware of the fact that I tended, even in looks, to be more like mom and you tended to be more like dad. And I think there was a sense of, for me of like, as, as much as I, you know, love mom and want to be proud of that side of the family. It's like, but my name comes from my dad's side of the family. I want to be more Mayhall. And so there was a sense of, I don't jealousy might be too strong of a word, but there was definitely a, an awareness of that, of like, oh, I don't feel as connected to dad as you. 
And then when you wound up moving in with him, it just seemed like, okay, well, that's makes sense. That's natural. Yeah, that you felt sorry for yourself had come from being divorced from a divorced family, like a broken family. I think part of it. Yeah, I think oh. I think there was a stigma in the small town of Louisiana, and I I in my class was definitely in the minority. Yeah. And so the, I carried that with me for sure. Yeah. What, what were there other things that went into that feeling sorry for yourself? I mean, you never think that you are good looking enough. You never think you're athletic enough. Um, you know, I was smart, but I was never the smartest. Um, you know, so stuff like that where it's just like you never feel like maybe you quite measure up kind of a thing. And and so it's it took me a long time to kind of realize that those things weren't important and there's other things that were more important. And it took me a while to realize, you know, that's not where your identity needs to be. Um, your identity, um, you know, can be in other things that are that are way more valuable and um so, yeah, I mean, I would think to some degree, you know, a lot of kids struggle with that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I, I literally have a memory of walking down our street, Parkwood Drive, and I remember having an internal conversation. I don't know what spurred it on, but having an internal conversation where it was just like the biggest pity party. And I remember saying to myself, well, I, you know, something like one, one day God knew that like – the grandson of 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 the grandson and just went on and on and on of Adam would be the ugliest, sorriest person in the world. And that was Jason Mayhall. Wow. Like, yeah. And I was probably in elementary school. Yeah. You couldn't have been that old. Right. Exactly. So it's like I look back on that and I go, wow. Like, OK, there was there was some pity partying going on there, you know, and if if. If I try to trace that back, I, again, I th- it goes back to identity issues, and I think that was partly feeling uh, – just feeling different because even in our neighborhood, there weren't divorced families. We were really the only family um, that had a divorced family. Maybe you know, at the very end of the road, Stephen Little, but he didn't live there for very long. I don't know if you remember that name or that kid. Yeah, he smoked cigarettes. Yeah, I had older sisters, I think. Yeah, he was like a small guy too. He literally was, yeah, little. He yeah, was small. Yeah, and he. Yeah. It was weird. People that young smoking cigarettes. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's what I mean by it, you know. And I never got the sense that that sort of stuff bothered you. I don't know. At that age, maybe not. Not the divorce thing for sure. I didn't feel like that was a big deal. I mean, you know, it just, I don't know. I never thought of things like that as being like a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, but then again, I was a little younger. So like, I, yeah. it's all, it's all I knew. That's so right. So maybe yeah. you had, you had a little bit more memories of them being together and like yeah. that would affect you differently. Um, yeah, I definitely do. It doesn't, I don't understand like, Maybe you need to tell me more about the situation, but like that's a strange thing to be doing, like to go through that many from Adam to you. Was it? Was there a girl involved? What, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I literally yeah. don't know. I mean, all, all I'm saying is that, like, you know, when you talk about the formation of who you are today, 
you try to go back and look at seminal moments in your life. And, and not that that was like a seminal moment, but I think in answering the question just about how did that self-identity play itself out, I mean, that that's just an example. I, and I just have to think that, you know, while it may not be that exact thing, I, I think I just think that's part of growing up is that you do struggle with some of those things, you know? Yeah, I definitely I've probably done something similar as an adult. Uh, so that's yeah. what I would say that that I, w- I would not have done that as an adult. Yeah. You know, so maybe there's a bit of reversal and, you know, a bit of. uh uh, of circumstances converging in order for that to happen at certain times, you know? Yeah. I'm not really sure if we've given the proper due to ourselves here with this today, you know? Um, it seems like we had some technical difficulties, which was part of it. Um, but I don't know where, how you feel about it. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, you mentioned in the tef- technical di- difficulties. So if you're listening to this, this is actually kind of a podcast we're putting together over two days. And so the fact that we kind of took some – had to take some time after yesterday and then reconnect today, I've actually been thinking quite a bit about our conversation, the first part of our conversation, and and I was feeling a bit uncomfortable about it. And yeah. I'm tr- and I'm tr- yeah, and I'm trying. I was trying to like tap into that, going, okay, what was it that was making me uncomfortable? And I think, I think we've started to peel back some layers in regards to um, just how different we are and where some of our base beliefs are. And yeah. I think maybe we need to tap into that more because I think, I, I think that's where a true not only self-examination, but even a true appreciation of one another is going to be found um, in regards to, okay, well, why is it that you choose to live that way? Why is it that you choose to believe or not believe certain things? Why is it that you choose um, that type of life? I, I think that's kind of, the, in some sense, is that kind of the, the core of true relationships, right? Is you start peeling back those those really really kind of deep issues. Well, what was bothering you yesterday about? I don't know. I think I think when we started talking a bit about the homosexuality thing. Yeah. I, I think I was I wasn't sure like what I was feeling, and I wasn't sure how I was coming across, and and I don't know. I just don't know how that was represented. In a way that I don't know was was completely I don't know what the right word is. I, it's not that it was dishonest, but I felt like maybe it, we just didn't get to explore it as deeply as I think it needs to be explored. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. And uh, is it safe to say that you've had a couple sort of crossroads in your career, haven't you? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And some of it stems from your interpretations of the Bible, right? Correct. That'd be safe to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would say, yeah, uh, there would be at least two crossroads that I could point to to go, yeah, that that was definitely a, a disagreement upon um, how I think God 
who God actually is and how he operates and how an interpretation of the Bible would be read. And we, and we can get into this for in the and it looks like we're probably going to do another part to this. So because we got, you know, like we were saying with the technical difficulties, we got over an hour of of audio. So trying to take people's advice, hey, make it shorter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but I don't know um, if I agree with that, Josh. Yeah, no, but I think that. We could talk about this. The reason why I brought up the, the homosexuality thing yesterday, my point was to say that I feel like you're – I came away from our last visit in person feeling like – because we'd had some philosophical discussions about church and religion and stuff while I was there. And I felt like I came away feeling that you had evolved a bit, not in the, not in the sense of Darwinism. But just, <laughs> I know what you mean. But like you're, like you're, you seemed a little different on certain things, and and I feel like maybe that's just comes with age and wisdom, you know. Yeah, it could be, and maybe that's a part of my uncomfortableness. Is maybe I've not realized kind of that evolution, which makes me go, okay, what? What was I coming across like before? And then also maybe feeling a little bit unsure of like, okay, well, what is your interpretation of that evolution as well? Um, so maybe that – I think maybe that's what I was really struggling with was like I don't really know. We've mentioned it or we kind of you know skimmed the surface of it, but I'm not quite sure what that what that means and what, the, what our understanding of each other is because you're right. I do think the last time we were – you know, in person with one another, I think we had some really good conversations. But you know, I, I you know, one of the things I have learned about uh, myself, and 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 again, you might disagree with me on this, Josh, but I think this is something that I really admire about you. Is you know, you you've had, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say you you've had a pretty tough decade, you know, in regards to, you know, just pursuing writing and 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 living out in california and and all that sort of stuff different relationships and stuff and i know you're human obviously and i know that you know everyone cares to some degree what people think about them but but you seem to care less about what people think about you than i do and that's something that in the last three or so years i've come to realize about myself is that i I have a much more of a people pleaser than I really thought I was. Yeah. And so I kind of had an aha moment a few summers ago about that. And, and so I've been conscious to, to work on that. And so I think after our conversation, the first part of this conversation, um, which was for us yesterday, I think I, I kind of slipped back into that a little bit and I was going, Oh my gosh, what does Josh really think about me? Like, does he, does he think I was like this Neanderthal, you know, and that he's had to get to a point of like, OK, yeah, that's my brother. I love him. So I'll just accept what he believes. Like, I think I was kind of doubting all that yeah. and just trying to, like, figure out, like, OK, what what did we just stumble upon? You know, I don't think Neanderthal is like a good <laughs> I you said evolution. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think that I pointed it out because. I and I pointed this. I told the 
told the told the story of me sort of like my evolution on religion as a kid being so bored by it and then as a young man being sort of fascinated by it and trying to find my way with it and struggling with it and then you know in the past 10 years or so sort of coming to a reconciliation with it and it being my own thing and maybe no one else's um my evolution with it so i think i was just trying to point out like bring you along with it too because you've had your own yeah you know you start somewhere and you end somewhere it's not the same place yeah true you know that's true so i think that's all i was trying to say and never in there are you like thinking of someone as being um subhuman (laughs) you know yeah, I, I because know. of the beliefs. But I think that's I, what I said yesterday about um, coming to this place where I think that all these belief systems are useful and valid. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, again, it, it is a, a fairly common criticism of Christianity is that it, it seems there are aspects of Christianity that come across to a pluralistic culture. That seems way outdated and ancient, you know, and yeah. so whether you want to say Neanderthal or ancient or old or outdated, it's all kind of describing the same feeling, you know. Yeah. yeah no. So there's a sensitivity. I guess I'm just trying to – there's a sensitivity that I have to that with that I've, I've been very intentional to try to work through with people, particularly people who are very different from me from a um, you know, uh, a moral perspective or, or philosophical religious perspective um of just going okay yep that's there how do you how are you able to bridge some of those gaps you know so that it's it does come across as a more reason to faith um rather than just a, a completely blind faith you know yeah so yeah i think that the the more nuanced it can be is better you yeah. know like the more um sort of understanding underneath it all is way better like the person like say a person in your position um the more understanding you are i think that's the better right because the like the people that you are coming in contact with there that you're you count in your congregation there's all kinds of different things going on there in those minds and in those hearts you know you you have to be sort of pliant you do Yeah. yeah i mean there's there's a great quote i don't i don't remember who said it but um an old mentor of mine used to quote it all the time and it was simply just remember behind every face lies a great drama yeah and i think it's a good reminder that you know no matter who we come in contact with you have no idea what they've been going through um not only in the last day but the last week month year decade you know so on and so forth so yeah you do you 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 have to be that way for sure pliable is a good word yeah so I think we we have another another part to this, and I think we can get into the stuff that you were feeling a little weird about, you know, and like maybe we could dive into that. And yeah, I, I I mean I think it's been good for me, like I like yeah. I mentioned, just even in the last twenty four hours, kind of thinking through, like okay, why am I feeling this way? What's at the root of that? And um, you know, it's been good to just even voice it to you. Because I don't know if I could have voiced it, you know, that way just a few hours ago. So just be able to have that process of talking it out and realizing that a lot of it's connected just to our relationship as well has been good for me. 
Yeah, it's just not it's not just therapy for me. No. You know what I mean? No, not at all. We can work out. A, that's what's so cool about this, I think, is because we can not only sort of talk about like what we did last time, like a sort of deconstruction of a story, but we can also deconstruct ourselves at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that can be a valuable thing. And I think it can be a it can be a very frustrating thing. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind not of, it's not kind of a dual edged sword. Yeah. All right. Well. So we'll end it for here for now. Uh, there's more to come. Uh, we thank you for listening and sticking with us. If it, anyway, we had some technical difficulties. We got through them again for listening. And we're going to go through the rigmarole of like, if you like it, share it. You know, and we there's something else we don't ever say is like the, the rating thing. Like you can rate it. Yeah. Yeah. If you like and it, also, give us hey, a rating. And also, hey, trying better to monetize it, if we can say that. Without being, you know, like coming off as greedy, there, there is like a, I had, I have to set up, set this up, finish setting it up, but there's like a patron page. Oh, okay. That's part of the Podbean thing. Like if you pay a certain amount a year, like they, you can set up things through their site and, you know, like the advertising thing that I sent you. Yes. Yeah. So, um, we're trying to, trying to ramp up. And get it to a point where you know maybe maybe we can make a little dough mm-hmm. doing this. So, but that only happens if we have more listenership. Mm-hmm. So we need you know some of the, we have some people that are diehards that can yeah. like maybe maybe push us over the edge here. Um, <laughs> That's right. So That's um, right. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I agree. I think that's a good reminder. Um, again, this isn't like you know us trying to be, you know, super greedy or super businessmen. But I think we like it, and I think it would be cool if you know as we're doing this, this could be something that, you know, um, is is not just beneficial for listeners, but beneficial, you know, um, for us as well. I mean, we're getting benefit because we're talking talking it out to each other. Um, but yeah, it'd be great. It just, I mean, we want to reach a wider audience. And so, um, in order to do that, sometimes you need faithful listeners like you right now who, uh, give us ratings, share it, uh, across all your social media platforms. Um, that gets the attention of advertisers, um, which, you know, obviously is able to monetize it, but then that actually gives us a larger platform as well to try to reach more people. And I think ultimately that's the goal. Yeah. That is the goal. So we'll let you go at that. Um, thanks again. Thanks Bye. for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening to my brother's deeper.